Welcome to The Full Life and welcome to another episode where we're talking about building multicultural communities in churches and another update about the COVID-19 situation in India. Don't miss this episode. Welcome to The Full Life, and as always, we remain committed to every viewer out there, every believer and non-believer living to the fullness of life that God has for you. And part of that, we believe, is equipping churches to become multicultural communities, reaching out to people all over the world. And certainly today's guests are doing that and have a lot of wonderful information about that. Plus, we'll talk about uh, the situation of COVID-19 in India. Well, you know, we were talking today, we were before we came on the air about how we were just feeling like there's this sense that people need prayers for being attacked or feeling disappointed or disheartened or just beaten down. And every time they take the first step, they get pushed back. And we really want to reach out to all of you today and start there for our encouraging word today. And so we're just going to pray with you. We're going to pray that in the name of Jesus that 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 spirit gets lifted and then we'll, I'll start when everyone wants to they can jump in as well. So I just want to come together today together in prayer in the name of Jesus just for everyone feeling stuck for everyone feeling like they're being attacked. We know that as soon as we take that first step forward into what God wants us to do, that's when Satan attacks because he doesn't want us to live in the fullness of what God has for us, the potential he wants us to fulfill or the purpose and calling that we can give to the world for him. Dear guy, just thank you so much for the blessing and privilege it is to come before you. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you're working on our behalf. Thank you that you promise to always be there. We pray right now for anyone who's struggling, um, whether it's physical or mental, whether it is um, an affliction or an addiction. We just pray that even right now they may be comforted by your presence. Um, even right now they may be strengthened by your love and the love of those around them. God, we pray for healing. We pray for healing of not only body, but also mind. And we thank you again that we can cast our cares upon you. And we thank you for the blessing of being one body together. So we just lift up our sisters and brothers at this time and we give them to you and we love that we can trust them in your care and in your arms. I think we just come together as their brother and sister just to lift everyone up for strength. That God, that you would just breathe life back into their body. You would give them hope. You would fill their homes with peace and with joy. And God, I also ask for strength that you would give them a perseverance to not give up, to not want to give in just because it gets hard, but to press into you, God, knowing that you have great things in store. If we would just hang on and not give up and not waver and try to take things into our own hands or make things happen the way we want to make them happen, but just to surrender to you and just say, Lord, we're going to trust you even when it doesn't make sense. We just are going to trust you. We just speak strength over them right now in Jesus' name. You are faithful. You are strong in our weaknesses. You are strong. This is the day that the Lord has made. So I will rejoice and be glad in it. No matter what has come my way, no matter what has come 
uh, any, anyone that's watching this program's way, we need to make a choice to rejoice in the midst of the circumstance. We need to be like Elijah that goes back in the midst of the circumstance seven times until he sees the answer, until he sees it, the small cloud that represents the rain coming. For anyone that's feeling exhausted and dry or weary, that they would see even just a small sign of a cloud and know that your rain of refreshing is coming in their life. For anyone that is just feeling like they want to give up, may they not give up. May they go back that fourth time, that fifth time, that sixth Mm -hmm. time, that seventh time until they see the breakthrough, Father God. I thank you that you have promised us, O Lord, in your word, that if we trust in you with all of our heart and we do not look to our own understanding that that you are going to direct our steps. So we thank you for directing our steps today. And we thank you above all for the peace that passes all understanding that guards our hearts, that no matter what we are going through, Jesus said in this world, we will have tribulation, but we can be of good cheer because you have overcome the world. Thank you now for that. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Amen. I needed that today. Thanks, guys. You know, last year we did a show on multicultural churches and how to build them. We had wonderful panel of people on, and one of the people was Pastor Mark Hearn. I'm so excited that he decided to come back because it was really my commitment that we weren't going to do just one show. This was going to be an ongoing thing that we continue to showcase on the show, really how beautiful building churches and communities like this can be. So with that said, I'm so happy to welcome back Senior Pastor of First Baptist Duluth in Georgia, Mark Hearn. Really good to be with you. Thank you. It's so good to see you again. And then I want to intro another member of your community now. Born and raised in a pastor's family in India, Kadmil Kumar has been living in the U.S. for the past 26 years. He lives in Swanee with his beautiful wife, Isoleth, and three loving children, Joshua, Niha, and Joshin. He has the privilege to serve as the president and chairman of the board for Good News Center USA. He is also honored to be an active deacon at First Baptist Church Duluth. Please welcome Kadmil Kumar. Hello. Welcome, Kadmil. Hello, everyone. Welcome, Kadmil. Good, good to have you. Thank, you. Thank you. So good to be here with you. Thank you for being with us. Well, I want to start with Mark. Last year, you co- were with us and we covered your book from 2017, Technicolor. And this year, you just came out with the release, the sequel to that book, Hearing in Technicolor. Tell us how you continued the message you started in Technicolor and what the format of this book is. Well, after Technicolor came out in 2017, I had numerous opportunities to be able to share in seminars and conferences uh, our story of going from a monolithic church to a multicultural community of faith. And repetitively, I'd have people ask me the question, uh, what about the people that were already there? How did how did their mindset shift? How did that take place? And so we decided we would interview um, a number of people within our church and around our church who are affiliated with our church and talk about that mindset shift. Uh, so I have a co-author in this uh, sequel book. Her name is Darcy Wiley. Uh, Darcy and I work together in Indiana and Darcy's uh, co-authored several books, several Christian books. Uh, So she came down from Indiana, interviewed 35 people in our church or affiliated with our church, 
and talked about that mindset shift of moving from a monocultural mindset, a, a everything is about consumerism of what's best for me, to a multicultural mindset of how can we reach the entirety of our community. You know, I love what you're sharing about how we really need to be bringing the cultures together, but maybe share with us why it's so important, biblically speaking even, why we should be as churches embracing multi multicultural communities versus monocultural communities. I, I think it's our a question of our validity. Uh, uh, if we're not willing to reach all people uh, within the ability of our reach within our community, uh, then we've become segregationalist. We've, we basically have said uh, we only care about a certain segment of our society. Uh, I remember when I delivered uh, uh, my first challenge to our church after I came in 2010. And I said, you know, we're the first Baptist church of Duluth. We're not the first Baptist church of Anglo Duluth. We're not the first Baptist church of English speaking Duluth. We're the first Baptist church of all of Duluth. And so our ministry should be to all of Duluth. There are 57 language groups at our high school. So we need wow. to come up with a methodology for how we can cross wow. cultural and language barriers in order to reach the entirety of our community. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. Well, you look like um, heaven. <laughs> yeah, it is like heaven. <laughs> yeah. Um, so just thinking about the book, in the book you chronicle kind of the journey of three different groups within the church family. Um, and I think they're groups that probably show up in every church, right? You talked about it as legacies, languages, and leaders. Uh, I want to start with that first one, legacies. So these would be, I think by your definition, longtime dedicated church members who we've all worked with. Um, why is it so important to include them into the vision of a multicultural community? Um, and maybe the other side of that is, where does some of the resistance that you feel um, in this group, where does that come from? Resistance is reality. Uh, and uh, there are people who will resist a multi multicultural model of ministry. Uh, and oftentimes people think that the majority of that resistance will come from the longest tenured or the legacy members of your church. Uh, we found that a great number of our legacy members uh, were our greatest proponents for change. Mm -hmm. And the reason was is because they really wanted the longevity of our church uh, to continue to prosper in the community. Uh, change just for change's sake is not necessarily good. But when there is a compelling reason to change, right. and of course, the compelling reason is the gospel. Yeah. Uh, that we want to take the gospel to all people groups. And once that compelling reason is given, people will get on board. So then the question is how to engage this legacy um, group into be like bridge. How, how are you doing that? Give us some examples or um, just some ideas of how you're doing this. Well, one of the things our legacy members will remember is that our church has been a, a stalwart church, a stalwart ministry supporting missions for years, for for decades. Uh, so uh, the people groups whom we have gone halfway around the world to reach are now our near neighbors. Right. Uh, we have a large group of South Asian Indian people in our community. There is a Hindu temple 100 yards from our church. Anything within a five mile radius of a Hindu temple is considered to be holy ground. So 
so there had been South Asian Indian people moving into our community at a tremendous rate. Uh, and we've had the opportunity to be able to reach, to be able to, to share the gospel with a large number of South Asian Indian families because of uh, that connection. Most people that I think have a heart, but I think where the barrier is knowing how, like what did you do to reach the East Asian population? What did you, how did you reach out to them? We began to celebrate Indian Independence Day on the Sunday nearest to August the 15th every year we celebrate Indian Independence Day. And so we invite all of our Indian neighbors to come. Uh, we have Hindus, we have Muslims who are in our church on Indian Independence Day. Wow, a, that's huge. A couple of years ago, uh, I was in an Indian restaurant and I was sharing with the owner of the restaurant, who is a Muslim, uh, that we were gonna be celebrating Indian Independence Day in our church coming up. And I invited him to attend. He said, who will be singing the Indian National Anthem? And I said, well, I guess you will. And he said, he said, you'd let me come to your church and sing the Indian National Anthem? I said, absolutely. And so he came to our church, a Muslim gentleman, sang the Indian National Anthem, wow. brought with him an Indian film crew who broadcast our service all around the world to South Asian Indian people that are dispersed in different countries all because we invited him to come sing the Indian National Anthem at our church. What yeah. I was struck with, you know, going back just a bit in the book was, you know, some of the statistics with that you that you bring that you bring up towards the beginning just to set the framework of, you know, really there is a a, a, a history of churches that when the populations change, they just stay as they are and then they die out, you know, because yeah. it, it should, they're just not ministering to the people around them. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, I mean, you could speak to that. I, I have, an, you know, I have another thing too, but please, you know, if you want to talk about that, absolutely. Yeah. One, 166 Southern Baptist churches inside the two interstate 285 perimeter of Atlanta in 1966, 166 wow. of those 166 Southern Baptist churches inside the perimeter of Atlanta, 36 are still in existence today. Oh. Now that's in my denomination. That's 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 wow. that's my tribe, my people. Uh, now there are other Southern Baptist churches, some who have been planted, some that have been replanted in those facilities, but only 36 remain strong in their location since 1966. And speaking to those groups, you in the book kind of outline this process that you saw each of the three groups of people in the church go through uh, with the legacies and even with all three, the leaders and the uh, immigrants, you kind of outline like nine steps that you've seen each one go through. We found that every group has its unique pathway of moving from monocultural to technicolor thinking. Uh, but yet we were able to see a very distinct pathway that draws them together to where that we are moving in the same direction uh, simultaneously. Uh, so it, it has been a wonderful thing to be able to put together. Uh, we didn't go into it with any preconceived notions, uh, but upon those interviews, we were able to ascertain what are these steps that move legacy members language members, pe people that are coming from a language background, this is their first 
church in the United States or the first church outside of their monolithic culture group. And for many people, this is their first opportunity to be able to be in a in a multicultural setting and they're doing so in the United States. And so what is their steps of being able to have that mindset shift? And then leaders like myself, uh, but not only leaders in the church, but outside the church, we interviewed denominational leaders and we interviewed community leaders, politicians, uh, and what what is the mindset shift that they are seeing and what do they what do they see happening in our church that needs to be emulated in their settings. I want to um, bring in Cadmiel a little bit. Appreciate you just hanging out. And um, we're going to bring you into this con conversation as well. So in the book, I know specifically uh, Mark, uh, Pastor Mark speaks about diverse immigration stories within the community. But I was just wondering, Cadmiel, and then Pastor Mark can jump in too. But what have you guys learned about the immigration experience? And how can churches position themselves to address the, the needs of, of that experience and, and try to be better at fully accommodating people who are coming into our neighborhoods? So, uh, Hank, that's a good question. And uh, before I jump into that, I'd like to mention one thing. I want to uh, brag about Mark. He's my pastor, and he's not going to do that. But all of this starts, the basic what we felt and I experienced over uh, nine years in the church is uh, two, two things we noticed, heart for mission and heart for people. Yes. And that's essential. And uh, you, when you listen to Mark, you could... Uh, hear the passion he has to reach to people uh, and reach them with the gospel. And when we are sincere uh, and we are trying to reach people with the love of Christ, with the message of Christ, everything becomes very easy. Um, so we have, we have seen that in the church. It's like um, when I came into the church, when I met Pastor Mark, uh, it's like I'm not Indian or my wife who is Hispanic, or we have uh, friends who are Korean or Chinese. We are people that God loves us. And we experience, I have personally experienced that love uh, through Mark. And uh, that is the culture that permeated in our church. So even in situation for immigration, uh, we have new people group coming, new languages, new culture. Uh, we are able to uh, spread that message and spread that genuine and sincere love and care for people um, um, in, in our community in Duluth. Uh, another thing I wanted to uh, mention is uh, people get very excited about going to the nations with the gospel. Yeah. And like Mark said, the nations are right in our neighborhood these mm -hmm. days. And uh, this is something I learned from uh, Mark. It's about reaching out to the neighbors. You, you ask him, he knows all his neighbors, where they're from. Um, mm -hmm. And we uh, use all the opportunities to invite them to church, uh, be it the India Independence Day, uh, be it the Three Kings Days, uh, be it the Chinese New Year. Um, uh, we, we do that in the church. And that's... Uh, that's what it talks to people as a foreigner uh, that I had the experience is uh, when somebody comes and talks to me and recognize me as a person that I have yeah. my genuine needs uh, and my experience uh, and somebody wants to strike the conversation going beyond the barrier of uh, being a foreigner, my accent, uh, my skin color, 
um, it speaks to me uh, instantly. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I'm open to gospel at that point. Uh, we tell the story of two Chinese ladies who moved to our, our community. Uh, the wife of, of Chinese businessmen, and they deliberately chose Duluth because there's a, a, a significant Chinese population, so they're able to find a Chinese grocery store. They're able to find um, uh, many reminders of home. And they enrolled their, their children in our preschool. Now, they're coming from a, a Buddhist slash atheist background. They, they have uh, the one commented in, the, in her interview, she had never been inside of any church of any denomination in China or in the United States. And so they, their twins and, and our preschool uh, got an invite to our Three Kings Day, Trey Rejas Magos. It's a Spanish uh, celebration at Christmas time, celebrating the coming of the wise men. And so uh, they they invited uh, the preschoolers to all come and bring their families. And the children begged their mom to take hmm. them to this event. Now she had never been inside of a church of any kind. And so here she comes and she got another Chinese lady to attend with her to be able to kind of be her support group because she wanted to know, you know, what happens in a in an American church. And she says, they take care of my children for free. They don't they don't charge anything for it. They teach the Bible in a way in which I can understand it. Then they fed us afterwards and celebrate it with these Spanish people, their version of Christmas. These people really love people in our community. And so our next celebration after Three Kings Day is in February, and we celebrate East Asian New Year. Over half the world celebrate New Year on a day other than what we celebrated. Mm -hmm. And so they come back and bring their husbands who celebrate East Asian New Year along with us. I've had the wonderful opportunity of baptizing one of those two ladies. And I really believe somewhere in the near future, I'll have the opportunity to baptize the other one because they are, they are so filled with questions and desires to hear about this life-changing gospel. I love you talking about how, yes, we've sent, as Americans, we've sent people out to missionaries, but clearly the mission field is right in our neighborhood. I love that it's been said a couple of times now because I think that needs to be reiterated. Some of the information you shared is one of the best side effects of accommodating multicultures in your church uh, community is that you become an incubator for missionaries. Can you talk about mm-hmm. that process? Because I, you know, of course, believe so much still in the missionary process. One, one of our strategies early on was that we would plant churches uh, intentionally uh, in areas that we have the largest unreached people groups of that nationality in our area. And so we have church plants in India. We have church plants in Mexico, church plants in Nigeria, and church plants in China. Uh, It's not just a conversation starter. It shows that we have that people group upon our heart. And that is actually how I met Cadmill. I met Cadmill through his brother, who is a pastor in Delhi. I was on mission in Delhi and met Daniel Kumar. And he said, I have a brother in your place. And I said, in the United States? He said, in Duluth. I said, you have a brother in Duluth, Georgia? 
I said, where does he go to church? He says, well, I'm not sure what church it is, but uh, I'll find out. But I'll tell him that he needs to go to your church. <laughs> and Cadmill and I actually did breakfast together once a month for a year of him teaching me and mentoring me about how to reach South Asian people before he and his wife came and became members of our church. Man, you think so differently out of the box. I love it so, so, so much. I hope this is challenging every pastor listening right now. Well, his humility, your humility yeah. to grow and learn and not to act yeah. like you've arrived and got it all. The humility. I actually have a two-part question for you, if that's okay. I want you to speak to how you develop a diverse, <laughs> and I say that word because if you've got these multicultures, how you're doing this, um, a diverse leadership that is unified, that is rooted in Jesus. And then the second part is, can you speak to the importance of the vulnerability of communication, determination in taking action as a leader? So it's sort of two part, but I feel like that's going to really help people. We were always and still are always on the lookout for diverse leaders whom we can elevate and uh, uh, place in positions where that they're able to be used with their giftedness uh, to be able to serve the body and to be able to serve the cause. Uh, of course, when I came in 2010, uh, you've got a 95% Anglo church. Uh, you've got an all Anglo leadership team, uh, both on the staff, uh, among the lay leaders, among our deacons, uh, and that was probably uh, one of the first groups that uh, chose to intentionally diversify. Uh, I remember back in 2012, there was a, a deacons meeting in my absence uh, where the deacon officers came together and says, we need to, to seek out uh, people within our congregation whom we think have the potential of leadership and to be able to, to mentor them and train them to come along. And we and we were able that next year to celebrate ordaining the first uh, international deacons in the 130 year history of our church. Uh, now our deacon body has South Asian Indian people. Our deacon body has people from Nigeria. It has people from Korea. It has a gentleman from Indonesia. It has African-American as well as Anglo-American, as well as Hispanic Americans who are a part of that leadership team and they serve together in one body. And that's an incredible example for the flock. One of the things that we do is uh, three times a year prior to COVID, we, we've not been able to do this since COVID, but three times a year, we do a six week uh, meeting in our home uh, uh, that we call cross class. It's cross-cultural, cross-generational meeting at the foot of the cross. And you have to have at least three culture groups and at least 30 years between the oldest and the youngest member of this group before we'll start one. And we try to do one in the spring, one in the summer, yeah. one in the fall. Cadmill was a part of the very first cross class that we did. Uh, we had 12 families uh, from seven different culture groups who met in our home uh, for eight weeks. And the intent of that is to be able to say this is less about imparting information. Although we, we do a Bible study and we do some uh, principles that we share, but it's more of a laboratory of bringing people together and teaching us that it's okay for us to ask the questions and we need to do so in such a way that we may be offended at least at first, but 
we need to tear that down and be able to say that uh, our offense is not as important as our coming together for the good of the gospel. You know, we talked about the Muslim man coming in earlier and singing, and you talked about Chinese New Year. And, you know, I, I sort of made a joke and made light of the fact that a lot of Christians are afraid of Muslims, you know, but we, we tend to be kind of afraid to cross cultures. And I don't think it's afraid of the person. I think people are afraid of breaking a biblical command by mm. embracing a Muslim. I think that really is the root. Maybe some people, it's that they don't want the person, but I think there's this concern. If, it, if I embrace this Muslim, am I embracing Allah? If I embrace, you know, this Chinese culture because it's a very pagan, you know, culture in many ways in some people's eyes or, or whatever their the thinking might be. So I want to ask you, how do we communicate that we can uh, ensure that we stay rooted in biblical principles while still accommodating and integrating a diversity of cultures. Well, I, I think you hit on the key word. The key word is fear. Yeah. Uh, and, it, and it's not just fear of Muslims or fear of Hindus or fear of Buddhists or fear of atheists. It's fear of anything different or anything outside of my experience, of, mm -hmm. of my uh, realm of, of, of experience that I can uh, be able to rest upon. Right. Um, and I, uh, we've tried to alleviate that fear uh, and to be able to, to have gospel conversations. That's one of the reasons we do the cross class. We want, we want people to, to, to see uh, people of a different culture group uh, as, as real, as people, as opportunistic to be able to become my best friend. We watched cross-cultural friendships take place out of those gatherings uh, that have become lasting and incredibly important. Um, but I think you have to you have to alleviate the fear. And there's so many stories in the book of you ministering to the nuns, as you'd call it, or the pre-Christians. Uh, there was one story uh, about a woman who was a Muslim woman who just wanted to learn how to read. And, but she kept coming to the church because she was learning how to read every week. And then she then she was reading the Bible. And then, you know, that turned into, you know, worshiping and ministering in, in a church service. And, and so that's the way you're ministering a need where it's overwhelming to an immigrant group. What, whatever that need is, we're meeting it in the church community. And that that's ministering to people because once you they feel that ministry, that love, that opens the door to so much more. Yeah, you um, kind of our final question on this section is you talk in the book about unity being good theology, but also a powerful witness. Um, can you expand on that a little bit? Uh, Jesus prayed that, uh, that, that we would be known by our unity, that uh, one of the most powerful evangelistic tools we have is to come together. And uh, I, I'll just tell you a COVID story. Um, uh, we reopened our church in August of 2020. Uh, like most churches, we have had a slow process of people returning to church, beginning at about 20 to 25 percent. And then in the fall, we added children and we got up to 35 percent. And then Christmas, we bumped a little more. And Easter, we bumped a little more. And uh, we've, we've watched that slow uh, return to church that's taken place. But since we opened in August, we have had a visiting family every single week. We have had a visiting family every single week. 
So over wow. 50 visiting families since the month of August. Of those 50 visiting families, over 90% of them are internationals. Mm. So I'm convinced that word is getting out in our community that if, if you want to go to a place where you're going to hear truth and where you're going to be able to be loved on and be able to find some answers, this is a place where you can do that. Uh, and so I believe that unity is a great draw and it has always been that way. And that's why Jesus prayed that. Well, thank you, Cad Neal and Pastor Mark for your continued witness at First Baptist Duluth in building multicultural communities there and with your partner churches around the world. And now I want to turn to the world and the COVID-19 situation in India. But first, Cad Neal, I want you to speak on what is Good News Center? Good News Center is a uh, ministry in India that's uh, found uh, to make disciples. That's uh, our primary reason of existence, uh, is to make disciples for Lord Jesus. We um, seek and disciple Hindus, Muslims, Buddhists, people who have never heard of the gospel. And um, the culture in India is a little bit similar to probably, I imagine, how Jesus' days were. It's more relational. People do, did life together. And that is what we understand when we practice at Good News Center of being disciple. Uh, we do not, of course, we do not uh, um, advertise or we do not uh, do much publicity about our evangelistic mission. Uh, but we care about people and we bring uh, the love of Christ uh, to them uh, among children, uh, among orphans, uh, underprivileged. Um, we go to them and... Um, we had, uh, through the help of Pastor Mark and uh, our First Baptist Duluth, uh, we have a medical bus that runs in um, the state of Orissa. Um, the region is called KBK, and uh, it was even in the United Nations, it is one of the most backward region in the world. Uh, and we have a fully equipped, state-of-the-art, 30-foot uh, bus uh, that uh, serves those people in the community where there is no health care. Uh, also, in that same region, uh, there was no Bible in the language called Sambalpuri. And Sambalpuri is my mother tongue. Uh, and we did not have Bible. And Good News Center, uh, we partnership with the American Bible Society. Uh, we translated uh, the New Testament into Sambalpuri. And we have already distributed over one and a half million copies uh, of the New Testament uh, in the Western region. Uh, also, with uh, partnership with crew, with their guidance, we're able to dub Jesus film into Sambalpuri. Uh, and we, uh, prior to COVID, we have shown Jesus film in over 1,500 villages. Uh, we have been showing uh, Jesus film in uh, the cable, in main television channels, uh, because uh, the TV channels are interested to show some Christian programs. And they're very happy to show uh, something in the regional language. Uh, one of the thing, another thing Good News Center does is in Delhi, we disciple children. We call it Kids Club. Uh, prior to COVID, we had over 6,000 children. They meet every uh, week. Uh, they meet um, in uh, neighborhoods, uh, in clubs, uh, in houses, 
they meet and they were taught uh, about the Bible, um, mm. about how to live life, about basic health and hygiene, and how to be good citizen. And we, we follow up and we had the capacity in Delhi uh, mm. to, to reach over 50,000 children in West Delhi alone uh, mm. that uh, is a population. And we found out uh, from our experience that's the most fertile group is the young children for the gospel. How much you invest an adult to win them to Christ, it doesn't take even a fraction of the resources in time to win a child uh, for Christ. Uh, I just think that's pretty powerful hearing your stories. I want to hear what the efforts are that the Good News Center is doing to help with the COVID-19 um, just so far. It has been a very difficult time uh, that even the local church and the pastors they're experiencing uh, in India because of the COVID, um, especially in New Delhi, uh, the northern region of India uh, and Orissa, we are seeing a heavy outbreak uh, of COVID among pastors and church planters because these people are exposed to the community. They, they go and reach out to people. They go to pray. They go to serve and house visit. And uh, in the past three months, uh, we have lost over 170 people to COVID. Pastors, uh, pastors' family, uh, and some of the lay leaders, uh, 170 uh, people that we have a list of uh, their name. I know personally know uh, a lot of these people. Wow. Uh, most of these people, I should say, uh, I know. So it's a, uh, it's a very difficult uh, situation. Uh, yeah. And in India, it, it exposed um, the, the uh, Indian um, government's effort and the society, uh, how it is uh, it's a complete breakdown uh, of the healthcare system. Uh, people are not able to find hospital bed. Uh, they were not able to uh, get treatment. Uh, a pastor friend of mine, a dear friend of mine that uh, I grew up with, uh, who was a full-time uh, missionary uh, in New Delhi, could not find a hospital bed, uh, could not find oxygen. Uh, we were in contact with him uh, and his family all night. And uh, uh, very sad to say that night, because of lack of treatment, uh, he lost his life. Um, an oxygen cylinder, wow. an oxygen concentrator, or even a mere uh, hospital bed would have uh, saved his life. Oh and um, it, it really, uh, and this is only one uh, example of uh, hundreds, hundreds of cases uh, that I personally uh, uh, came across uh, and experienced. Uh, so what we decided, and uh, this is when Pastor Jeetan passed away, uh, it, it struck us that yes let's try to get oxygen um, and good news center made an effort to get oxygen concentrators um, and we are providing us oxygen concentrate to pa uh, patients at home um, and also the pastors and house churches and small churches uh, we opened up uh, oxygen response center where we have concentrators wow where people could come uh, and they can get connected to the oxygen uh, or they could get trained and take one home uh, to the patient. Um, we have 
So far, we have established 30 centers with oxygen concentrators. Uh, another uh, thing we are doing is providing oxygen cylinders. Uh, this is for some cases that's a little bit advanced and people have uh, difficulty breathing. Uh, we are providing oxygen uh, cylinders. We are delivering to home. Uh, also, we, are, we have cylinders in our medical bus uh, and we have opened up centers um, to, for people to come um, and get administered, to, uh, administered with oxygen. Uh, we are moving in to help the families with groceries um, and finances. Usually uh, when a family member has passed away, most of the time, the children and the other spouses, they are also affected with COVID. Uh, we're trying to provide them oxygen. We're trying to provide them uh, vitamins uh, and, and supplying them with groceries. Um, so those are the things we are doing. Another new opportunity that's coming right now to us is uh, orphans. Uh, we have seven orphans that has been brought to us. And um, Good News Center has orphanage uh, that we run orphanage uh, and we care about uh, care for 235 children uh, at the moment. Um, so, but we are um, expecting many orphans. Um, they will they will come they they will come because of the COVID situation. Uh, Good News Center at the moment we have uh, a goal of setting up 100 oxygen concentrators. Um, and 50 oxygen cylinders. Um, also, we are uh, we are targeting to feed thousand families uh, till the pandemic shutdown is over. What are so? I know you say you have some of these goals, but how can yeah? What do you hope to accomplish um, with further funding and support? And then maybe how can we help, or how can our audience help as well with that? We we have set ourselves a target uh, of three three hundred thousand dollars. Uh, of um, to to raise to meet the hundred con uh, oxygen concentrators and fifty oxygen cylinders and provide groceries for thousand uh, families. Um, but as as you all know, the need is vast, um, and this is three hundred thousand dollars is a drop in a bucket. Um, and we are praying for resources, and we are partnering with. Uh, uh, people on the on the ground, other organizations and churches, uh, to mobilize people uh, to uh, to see how we could provide relief and uh, even raising the three hundred thousand dollar and praise God to generosity of a lot of people and I'm um, so thankful to Pastor Mark and so proud of our uh, church uh, that people have given generously and we have so far raised over one hundred seventy thousand dollars. This is the perfect opportunity for the church. It doesn't matter what denomination, uh, it doesn't matter what church, but this is an opportunity that God is giving us to win India for Christ, where heart will melt and barriers will be broken. Because people will ask question that who was with us in the time of need? Who was with India uh, when they needed uh, the, the most? So, uh, and... Uh, I want, I personally want uh, the answer to be the church. The Church of Christ stood with India in the worst time of her life. Go to our website, gncindia.org, 
and online there's a COVID relief and also opportunity to uh, donate to other areas of ministries. I just want to share that uh, I was interviewed for the Christian Index about our partnership yes. with Good News Center in India. And in in 40 plus years of pastoring, uh, I, I don't know of any organization anywhere on the planet that I feel more compelled to recommend and to drive people towards than Good News Center. Wow. And, and their strategic way of looking at this and putting those oxygen centers at house churches, people are being driven to church to find the answer to their health problems. Uh, and oh. they're able to get the gospel as well as to be able to get some physical uh, a relief and aid. Uh, so if your listeners are in any way uh, desirous of doing something to assist in the gospel movement in India, this is the organization, this is the group to be able to do it through. Let's take a moment to focus on the fullness of prayer. Something that began during COVID, we began praying for first responders. Uh, and so we developed a list of first responders in our church. One of the first responders in our church is the head of the chief medical officer at the medical facility that was designated by our governor uh, to be the COVID medical facility for our county. And so I called him and I asked him, I said, I, I know that you're incredibly busy. I know that you are uh, uh, you are just uh, overwhelmed at every point. And I don't want to take any of your professional time. I don't want to take any of your personal time. But I know that you drive into work every day. Would you call me when you get in the car on your way to work? And let's pray together on your way to work. He began that in March of last year. We continue that today. When you have a prayer partner that you are disciplined to pray with every single day, that's a tremendous opportunity. One thing that's very important to me is praying in my closet. And uh, that uh, has been a habit of mine that I could walk into the closet and I, I sit down in the floor uh, in my closet and I'm able to shut down everything um, and all worries and focus and pray. So uh, this is something that strengthens me, encourages me, and just give me the fuel for the, for the day. And then finally, as a family, we get together in the evening uh, appointment uh, appointed time we get together uh, in our family room and we pray uh, we do our evening devotion uh, and even our dog Benji knows it's time uh, for prayer and worship and he comes um, and he sits at the, at the living room um, so that's uh, that's how uh, I do my prayer life of course we want to make sure you go to Good News Center. Please support their efforts. As Mark said, they are a worthy organization spreading the gospel and helping people in India, especially at the time of COVID-19. And follow First Baptist Duluth and Pastor Hearn on social media. And of course, get the book, Hearing in Technicolor, the sequel to his first book, Technicolor. I highly recommend them both. 
I love the work you're doing. I hope that inspires so many people to go out and really embrace yeah. the diversity in your communities so we can win everyone for the truth of Christ in the world so that they may all be set free in that truth and live in fullness as we do, as we try to do here every week on The Full Life. And we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.